Can you hear me? Is this on? Wonderful. Great. Thank you for those readings. So, this is the final installment of the mini-series on Romans, and particularly this section of, of Romans 8 around the theme of life in the spirit. Now, there's a very technical theological term for this sort of passage in scripture, and it's known as a humdinger. So bear with me because I won't be able to unpack or share all that's rammed into these few verses. There is so much. And then paired with Psalm 139, which beautifully read, again, we could, we could spend weeks just meditating on some of these words. But I'm going to share a, a few thoughts and... Um, yeah, let's, let's see where we go. So, if we go to our first, first slide, what I want to do first is, is just, that's a drone, by the way, get an aerial view of Romans again. Because it, it, Romans is a tricky book. It's really okay. You have permission to read Romans and go, this is complicated. I don't understand it. Paul is really complicated. And he's a difficult kind of writer. It's a letter to the church in Rome, the heart of the biggest empire of the time, and this new church is fragile and working out who it is, what it means to be a follower of Jesus in an empire that's against them, that doesn't get it. What does it mean to follow Jesus? And Romans, the book of Romans, is a letter, and we'll go on to, to this in a bit. I think it's a love letter. It's a love letter to the church, but it's Paul's way of trying to communicate the love letter of God to the world. And we give Paul a bad press because he is a bit awkward and a bit difficult, and he says some tough things. But I'd love for us to reimagine the book of Romans as a love letter, God's love letter to us, as Paul would, would imagine it. So, drone's eye view of the book of Romans. Now, we have got some technical Christian words. If they're not helpful, forget them, and I've done a little translation. So, the first bit of Romans, one to three, condemnation. Paul just outlines that the world's in a mess, and actually we come before a creator God who is holy and actually needs sorting out. And the verdict is, well, we're lost. The world is lost. That's the first bit of Romans. The next bit, Romans 3, from 21 up to Romans 5, is technical term, justification. We're found. Because of what Jesus did on the cross, his death on the cross means that we can somehow be found before God. Romans 6 and 7, technical term redemption. Again, you don't have to know these funny words. But we've been lost, found, and we've been put right. We can be with God again because of the cross but not just the cross, the resurrection. Death has been defeated. 
And this is the humdinger bit. So the word I'm using is glorification. Again, you don't have to remember that. But ultimately, and this is the heart of the message that I want to share, we've been put right at the heart of God's family. And this is the kind of Romans 8 bit, and then there's a little bit of a diversion talking about, well, God's people Israel, and what does that mean in terms of a new fulfilled people, the old covenant being valid and real, but it's been opened up to all of us. But actually, this is a new family that the creator God, the God who the psalmist in Psalm 139 say, whoever you are, waking up in the morning, God knows every hair on your head. He's made you, knitted you together in your mother's womb. Knows all your thoughts, all your hopes, all your fears. And says, you're now in my family. I love you. It's okay. And this is the bit that, it's the glory bit. And then the last section is kind of Romans 12 to 16. It's the bit we often ignore. We shouldn't, but it's about... What does it mean to live as a family of God? What does it mean to live with kind of government and politics? How do we worship? Um, what about family relationships? Um, how do we serve in the church? And it's the kind of nuts and bolts, consecration, doing our stuff before God, living the family way. So that's the bird's eye view. Deep breath, pause. Let's have the next slide. So before, I, I'm just going to give three little things, classic sermon stuff, and just to let you into a secret, those that preach at St. Christopher's, we had a meeting a few weeks ago, sharing tips, how we could learn together to do this better, um, and I don't know about anyone else that was in that meeting, but when you talk to other people about how you preach, you're suddenly a bit more conscious about how you preach, um, and feel a little bit, ooh, Hope, hope I actually live out what I try and say. And, um, but we talked about three-point sermons. Three-point sermons are okay. So I've got three points from this amazing section of Romans. Just to, as if we think Romans 8 is about glory, when we use the word glory or come across it in the Old Testament, anybody want to suggest what comes up in your mind? Glory of God in the Old Testament. What do people think of? The Shekinah glory in the temple. Philip, A star plus. Yeah? Now, that, again, Philip used some weird, obscure words. But basically, in the Old Testament, when you read God's glory, it's, where's God? Might be in the temple, holy of holies, or the tabernacle, or a pillar of cloud by day as the Israelites are coming out of Egypt, or a pillar of fire by night. It's basically, where's God? The presence of God. And the heart of this section of Romans, and Tom touched on this last week in the kind of mystery bit, is that God wants to live with us. And because of what Jesus Christ has done, he does live in us. 
Amazing. The Shekinah glory, the Indiana Jones stuff, Raiders of the Lost Ark. I mean, it's all nonsense, that bit. But, you know, the, they have this... You remember Raiders of the Lost Ark, the Ark of the Covenant, and, and everyone's kind of a bit scared. And, and it, it's kind of riffing a bit on the Old Testament sense of the awe of God, because if God lives there, then it's a bit scary. And Paul is saying in Romans, he's living in you now. The holy creator God is present to us. And I'm breaking all the rules of my sermon preparation and the stuff that we talked about the other week as we shared tips because I put a slide up and I'm not referring to it yet. But if you imagine, those of you that like classical music, Romans 8 is like a Beethoven symphony and this is the bit where you get a crescendo. Because there's lots of repetition. The stuff that's in the last couple of chapters, Paul's talked about, there's no condemnation. He says it again in this passage. We're free. Life in the spirit as children, and we cry, Abba, Father, and we're, we're family, and all this stuff is being reiterated and repeated, and it's like a a symphony that's getting louder and louder, or if you prefer, a rock song, and this is the guitar solo, or if you prefer again, and I'm just learning this from my kids, okay, a club anthem, and this is the break. Ask somebody else that's a lot younger than me if, to explain that one. But Paul is building it up and saying, God's living with us. So, the three-part sermon bit. Verses 28 to 30. We're called. God says, I've got something for you to do. Join the family business. We're in the business of recreation, of life. And I've called each one of you by name. I know you. I made you. I know every single thing about you and I'm holy and I'm good and I know you're not but I've put you right because of what Jesus has done. Join the family business. I've called every one of you. And there's this pattern through the Old Testament because Paul is a good Jew. He, he knows his, his own story as a Jew and there's a pattern that's coming to fulfillment in the church and he says God chose the people of Israel they were my partners but it wasn't the full deal because God needed to enter into this world to really put it right and there's a partnership now available to those in the church that respond to that offer that free gift because we're forgiven put right. God's stamp is on you. We've got work to do. Now, I'm going to step back just very quickly because I can't help but notice some things in the text. And I'm going to do this very, very briefly just because it's a difficult section. Um, and those that want to talk about it another time can grab me afterwards. I'll happily talk about it. But I'm not going to go into detail because it's, it's just a really complicated bit. Let me read some of these verses to you.
to you. And as you heard the reading, I wonder whether some of you were kind of intrigued. Um, so, one verse here, verse 28. We know that all things work together for good for those who love God. In the midst of all of this, this is one of those really difficult verses. And this may be familiar to you, but I I know when I was growing up in a Christian home, and I've heard it subsequently as well, sometimes people have, have used that verse and used it in the most difficult situations. So somebody's critically ill. Somebody's struggling with relationships. Uh, But we know all things work together for those that love God. And sometimes it's suggested as if God makes all those horrible things happen. I just want to say that that, for me, is a wrong reading of this text. God doesn't bring horrible things to happen. Sickness and death and depression and suicide and unemployment and broken relationships. What God offers in Christ is that the most horrific things that can happen to each of us, God can put them right. Not that it makes it right, but that even struggles and pain and loss ultimately in the face of eternity in the face of a life lived with God that we can say I wanted that to happen that didn't come from God but through it I've discovered something more about God and myself Through it, I've found God in a deeper and richer way. And that's not the same as saying God made it happen. So that's just a little stepping back, because it is a difficult text. But let's hear it, and it will be explained a bit more, I think, as we get to the crescendo of the end of this chapter, that even death and heartache... And this is a church faced with persecution, even persecution. God didn't bring it. God doesn't solve all these things. But when we come into God's family with that mark of Jesus Christ upon us, with the Spirit of God in us, all those things suddenly can pale into insignificance. So, a little bit of a step back for a moment. So, we're called. We have a job to do. Let me give one little picture about what that might mean. Because it's not simply about called with a job to do, and it's those who are vicars, or helping with the young people in the church, or missionaries. It's you and your neighbourhood in your families, in your workplace, and I'm going to randomly not, not pick on people, but imagine and think of different situations here. So whether you're a teacher in a local school, whether you're retired and you go to 
different groups, with fellow retireds, or have friends in your neighborhood. Talking to someone even before this service who can't get out of the house much. But each of you are called to be and do in your situation. If you're a mum just looking after kids at home right now, and there's not a just, called to be in God's family in that situation. If you're a nurse or a doctor, whatever it might be, you're in partnership with God. And I heard a talk um, a couple of weeks ago. Somebody was sharing how they had an event coming up and they were involved in the team for this particular event. And they were praying before God and said, I don't really know what to do. It's, it, you know, it's my other half that leads this. I feel a bit inadequate. God, what do you want me to do? And, you know, when you, sometimes you have a sense of clarity about God speaking or a picture. And it's not weird. It's just prayer, just listening. And this person said, she, she said, I had this picture. And it was God saying to me, all you're called to do in this big event is to smile and to welcome people. And I could see myself stood there smiling and then looking around and God was right behind me with big arms embracing me as I was trying to welcome and embrace other people. And I was leaning into God. That was, for me, a beautiful picture available to all of us. Whatever you do, this time tomorrow, Monday, in your workplace, or in your home or neighborhood, God's right behind you, embracing you. Lean into him. Whatever you are called to do. So, next slide. So, it's the love letter. We're called, not because simply God wants workers because he loves us, loves us to bits. Life in the spirit gives us assurance, hope, confidence. And the God who is creator that knows every single bit about us, every hair on our head, all our hopes and fears, we're loved. And I can't emphasize it too much. And we struggle with that, don't we? Struggle to receive it, some of it sometimes because we don't know what that looks like. We don't feel that we've been loved by those people perhaps have been given the responsibility to love us. But God says that each one of us is special. Each one of you can be in this new family. Let's have our final, final slide. Has anyone seen the film La La Land? Yeah, okay. So, just one? Nobody else seen it? Yeah, a few people have seen it. So, if you've seen it, it's, it's a kind of modern, trendy musical and Ryan Gosling, lots of people like Ryan Gosling, plays the piano and sings, yeah, 
you know, and, it, and it's kind of this dancing and it's sat in LA. Did you know that Ryan Gosling does not play the piano? Ryan Gosling spent hours and hours and hours just learning where to put his fingers on the keyboard to do the songs in La La Land. Yeah? If you asked him to play another piece of music, he would not know how to play it. He just... and had somebody coaching him to put the fingers in the right place. He can't read music, doesn't play the piano, but... And it's really impressive if you see the film. You know, he comes across like a proper jazz musician. He just learned to do the notes. Life in the Spirit is not Ryan Gosling playing the piano. I'm going to unpack that in a minute. <laughs> Sometimes we can feel kind of bowed down with guilt after... I've got to tell people about Jesus, or I, I, I wish I was nicer at work, or um, what does a Christian have to do in this situation? And it becomes a bit kind of Ryan Gosling, you just putting the dots together, going through the motions. Now, you can ask the likes of David Pitches or Fiona Lenton, who are super-duper musicians, um, Really, playing a musical instrument involves lots of practice. So I'm not saying that we don't need discipline, that we don't need to be praying each day, setting aside time to read the Bible. But I am saying that life in the Spirit is a relationship that we need to practice. And so each day, in one sense, doing this in prayer, not necessarily closing our eyes all the time, but you know, this time tomorrow, God, what do you want me to do? God, where are you? I remember at Advent doing a, a sermon and posing that question, asking where God is today. And so we feel the music of the composer. We feel and know and understand the love of the Creator God as we do our stuff in the world. As volunteers in the Springfield Project, seedlings this week, God, what, what do you want me to say here? Or just to listen? Where are you? So it's not Ryan Gosling on the piano, it's a proper musician improvising and there's life and energy and the spirit at work, that's available to you and I. You don't have to have a weird mystical experience. You don't have to even feel it. But just talk to God and listen. So 37 to 39, we have those final verses. We are more than conquerors. And the Greek word, sorry, we are going to get some technical stuff here, but it's quite fun. The, the, trans, the translation where it says more than conquerors, I was thinking, what, what on earth does it mean to be more than a conqueror? So you're a kind of winner, but you're more than a winner. What does that mean? Well, the, the Greek, hyper-tickomen, so hyper, 
could be translate, translated super conquerors. In the face of opposition, of sickness, of struggle, God's not taking all these things away from us. Paul in his letter doesn't say, you're all going to live forever, there will be death, but we've got a resurrection coming. Doesn't say you're never going to be sick. Doesn't say everyone's going to like you. But he does say, we'll have victory over it. More than conquerors, super conquerors. All those things will pale into insignificance because we're God's family now. God's spirit lives within each one of us. There's, there's a phrase which I'm sure I've used before in, in preaching. And you get it in those um, various TV detective dramas, you know, like Silent Witness. So people kind of working out, so what happened here? Who's left a fingerprint? Bit of a, you know, piece of cotton from somebody's trousers. And it's a scientific principle that they build from. It's called every contact leaves a trace. Every contact leaves a, a trace. Now, I know for most of us, probably all of us if we're dead honest, the thought that even when we feel a bit kind of rubbish, that the Creator God is in us and with us wherever we go this week. I know it's hard to grasp, isn't it? But wherever you go this week, whatever you do, in the name of Jesus, every contact leaves a trace. Think of that picture again of my friend talking about this image of her just not knowing what to do, but feeling called just to smile and welcome. But God was embracing her. And all she needs to do is lean into him. That's for us. That's for every one of us. Let's pray. Loving Heavenly Father, I pray in amongst all, all these words and thoughts that we might capture again even a small part of your love for us. Thank you for the cross, which means that we can be put right. Thank you that you call every single one of us to be in your family. And we are called to be your children. Thank you that we are super conquerors and in the face of whatever struggles that death does not have the last word but your love, your resurrection does. Help us to know some of this even this week, this time tomorrow. In Jesus' name, amen.